chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 67 to 80. Luke 1, verses 67 to 80. If you're using a Bible provided for you there, it's page 856. Page 856. If you have an astute eye or maybe an astute ear, you would notice something this morning. Uh, we have our new piano. It came this past week, and so we're very thankful for that. Um, it needs to settle in, they say, for a couple weeks, just like most of us, right? You get somewhere new, you just need to settle in, and uh, they'll be back in a couple weeks to, uh, to do a, a good first tuning as it gets adjusted to its uh, surroundings and everything like that, and so, but we're thankful for, uh, thankful for our new piano, and then we're thankful for, uh, for the Hafes. They are one of the Edie descendants. Uh, who were willing to take the previous piano, and so I already got a picture. It looks like it's at home at their house, so we're, we're thankful for that, uh, that it can continue on in that way. If you found your way to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 67 to 80, which is Zechariah's song, Zechariah's prophecy in regards to not only his own son, but to what his son, John the Baptist, will point to. So if you found your way there, let's pray, and we'll read our passage together this morning. Father, thank you for that wondrous mystery. For Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, who came, not as we would maybe think of it, as a conquering king or a mighty political figure, but as a babe. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus in your sovereign plan, in your sovereign way, that this child would grow in wisdom, and stature before men, that he would grow physically, but yet, Lord, as he would grow, he would also come to the point of dying on the cross for us. The plan of redemption from the beginning of time that is now made real in Jesus. Thank you. And as we look here at your word this morning, we see already at his birth, or even before, Lord, how you are revealing your plan, his purpose, to those that would hear. Lord, help us understand your word this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Luke 1, verses 67 through 80. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophets of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. and He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We think of the holidays, the holiday season. One thing that often happens in our homes, I know, is the prep, preparing, the anticipation for visitors 
or to go somewhere, to visit someone, right? You have to prepare food, make cookies, make sure you have clean sheets on the guest bed. You vacuum that room for the 10th time for your wife. Uh, You tell the kids to pick up their toys again and again, right? We have company coming. Get ready. (laughs) Preparing for someone who is coming. Then there's the anticipation, the, the waiting, the excitement of, oh, I can't wait until they get here. I remember as a kid, if it was grandparents coming to, to our home or the anticipation, can we leave yet? Can we leave yet? No, one more hour, half an hour, then we could go to grandma and grandpa's house. Okay, good, right? Waiting for something to happen, the anticipation, preparing, making ready. In this section of Luke's gospel, we read of Zechariah, and we read of his son, John. And John is an interesting character because he is one whose birth is foretold. He is one whose birth happens in a miraculous way, though not in the same way as Jesus's. And he is one who has a specific purpose and mission in his life. His life is perhaps one of the greatest examples of one's life not being about them. John's life is about the one who is coming after him. He is to prepare the way. He is to set the table. He is to make ready the nation for the coming of the Messiah. It's not about John, but it's about the one who is to come. The one who is going to come to bring redemption for people. The one who's going to redeem the nation from their sin. And God demonstrates his power and his plan of redemption through John's birth. So as we look here at Luke 1 verses 67 through 80, we're going to just survey briefly the beginning part of Luke and God's interaction with Zechariah and Elizabeth. But our big idea this morning is this, is that the birth of John the Baptist prepares the way for the birth of the Messiah, who has come to redeem people from their sin. John's life and his birth here is preparing the people for the birth of Jesus and Jesus's life. It's preparing the way of the Messiah, the one who has come to redeem people from their sin. I think that's important because the Messiah, his purpose, his plan, his reason is to redeem people from their sin. So as we look here, we see these two ways in which we see redemption seen in Zechariah's prophecy. Before we get there, let's do a little overview of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So if you flip back a page to the beginning of Luke's gospel, the birth of John actually happens, or the prediction of John's birth, happens before that of Jesus. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So here, these two people are Levites. They're from the family. Elizabeth is a a daughter of Aaron. We see their role. They are part of the tribe of Levi. Their role was to be priests, to serve in the tabernacle and the temple. They were And in a sense, the the Levitical priests were the intermediary, you could say, between God and the nation. They would offer sacrifices. They would would teach. They would instruct. 
I think this is very interesting. They were to prepare the hearts of the people to come into worship with God. That was the, the role of the priests. And here we see one who comes from this line who's going to prepare the way for the nation for the Messiah. Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we see their character in verse 6. They were both righteous before God. Not that they were sinless, but they sought to follow God with their whole hearts. They walked blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Elizabeth, I'm sure, wanted to be a mother, but yet she was barren. And they had both advanced in their years, where more than likely it wasn't going to be a reality. But yet, God is a miraculous God. He is a wonder-working God, and when God wants to do something, God will do something. I hope you get glimpses here of Abraham and Sarah, right? That God makes a promise to them, and Abraham says, yeah, right. Sarah laughs, and there comes Isaac. (laughs) God has a plan and a purpose, and he will accomplish it. Zechariah is serving, verse 8, before God. They took rotations in the temple, and he was faithful to serve. And as he entered the temple and was burning incense, there appeared to him, verse 11, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. He was overcome with this vision. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So we see here in this description, John is one who is set apart. He will not touch strong drink or wine. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Most people believe that he would take a Nazarite vow. This is the idea of of keeping away from certain things. He was to be set apart from the very beginning. He was going to be filled with the Spirit. We even see that as... (laughs) He does loop-de-loops in Elizabeth's belly when Mary comes to visit her. This child is going to be set apart, and he will be used by God to turn, verse 16, many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was one of the great prophets, probably one of the greatest two in the mind of an Israelite. You have Moses, and you have Elijah. And he will go in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John's ministry is going to be preparing the way for the Messiah and it's going to involve heart change. Turning from disobedience to the wisdom of the just, the hearts of the fathers to their children, this, this proper organization in the power and spirit of Elijah. And then there's Zechariah, verse 18. He says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. He's basically saying, God, I'm really old, okay? My wife is old. We're advanced in years. We have no child. We've never had a child. Verse 19, and the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
Zechariah did not respond in faith. He says, yeah, right, God, I don't think this is going to happen. And Gabriel says, I've been sent by God, and guess what? You're going to be mute, you're going to be silent, unable to speak until these things take place to show my power. So he became mute, verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. So we see God's miraculous intervention here in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. In promising this child, in demonstrating his power by causing Zechariah to be unable to speak, by the conception of this child through normal human means uh, in Elizabeth. And now Elizabeth is rejoicing by the fact that she has this child in her. Now we jump ahead to verse 57 in Luke 1. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Surprise, she knew that. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So if you remember, that his birth will be accompanied with rejoicing. And here, the neighbors and relatives heard, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. It's a normal pattern in Israel. On the eighth day, male children would be circumcised. And this is where they would name the child. And so they ask, would they have called him Zechariah after his father, which would have been a very normal thing to do. Family names were big in first century Judaism. Family names were huge. Whether it was the father's name, whether it was another relative, or perhaps even the tribe that somebody was from, that would have an impact. Some of you are named after people in your family. All of our kids, their middle names, are from someone in our family. And here, the assumption is, is that this child will be named Zechariah. But Elizabeth says, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, wait a minute. None of your relatives is called by this name. This is always one of the hardest things as a parent, picking a name for a child, right? Would it fit? What sounds good? What's popular? You know, how can junior high kids twist it and make fun of them? All these things you have to think about, right? And then you hear somebody's name and you're like, that's a name, right? <laughs> Here, she said, John. And they said, nobody's named John. We need to ask the father. Because the father, in a sense, had that right. And so they made signs to Zechariah. And he asked for a writing tablet, more than likely a piece of wax and a stick. And he wrote out, his name is John. And they all wondered. They all marveled. And immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened. We see here how Zechariah's transformation from questioning God and doubting him to now saying, no, his name is going to be John. And what happens? His mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing to God. The first thing he, he started was to praise God. And fear came on all. And these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid, up, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So this is where we come to. Zechariah has been mute. He hasn't been able to speak. 
All this transpires. The baby's born. Let's call him John. We don't believe you, Elizabeth. Let's ask the father. Zechariah says, no, his name is John. And now he comes to this praise. And we see here these two ways in which redemption is working itself out. First off, redemption is seen in God's promises to David and Abraham. Redemption is seen in God's promises to David and Abraham. Zechariah begins to speak, verse 67. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. So not only is this a song, a psalm, poetry, but it's a, it's a prophecy. He prophesies about things that will happen while remembering things that have happened. So the main idea here is this idea of redemption. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Redemption. Redemption. This is key. What is redemption? It's a term you hear often, right? To redeem. Redemption. It's the idea of purchasing or buying something, right? How many of you have a coupon or a deal or a code and you click to redeem it, to use it, right? To buy. Here, God has visited his people and has redeemed them. He has brought redemption on his people. He has raised up, verse 69, a horn of salvation. Now, how many of you remember the horns from Daniel, right? You're like, Pastor Greg, we've talked about horns, little horns, ten horns, crazy horns, far too often in Daniel. Here we have another horn. This is a good horn. This is the horn of salvation. And a horn is this symbol of power, strength, might, leadership, a king. Here is one who is the horn of salvation. And he's from the house of his servant David. Now is John, excuse me, is Zechariah talking about John his son? From the house of David. No, right? Because David's not from the tribe of Levi. David is from the tribe of Judah. So we see here that this salvation is not coming through John, but it's coming through someone who's from the house of David. Now, who do Zechariah and Elizabeth know that's from the house of David that perhaps is pregnant and will bear a child soon? Mary. This one, this horn of salvation in the house of his servant David is pointing to Jesus as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So redemption is seen here in God's promises to David. We see that in verse 69. That salvation, redemption comes through David, through the, the son of David, the one who will sit on this throne forever, the one who will be the, the greater, the better, the perfect David, the perfect king. This is the one through redemption comes. And Zechariah points them back to the, the prophets who have also prophesied of old. And what did they prophesy? Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This idea of deliverance from enemies. Verse 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Again and again, the promises to the previous generations in the history of Israel are brought up again and again. This reminds us that God is faithful. God remembers. God will be true to his word. Verse 73, the oath 
or the promise that he swore to our father Abraham. So here's is the promises to Abraham. This is so important. And you might say, well, Pastor Greg, yeah, we get it. Okay, Jesus is from David. He's from Abraham. That's huge. That's so important because it demonstrates the fulfillment of these promises that God has made. Jesus is the Messiah. There's people who reject Jesus. There are the Jews today who think that he is not the Messiah. That's why it's important to connect Jesus to David and Jesus to Abraham because these are the promises that give structure to the Bible of what God is doing because these go back all the way to the very beginning to Eve, this one who will come and make things right. The one who will undo all the wrong and the evil. So the oath, the promise that he swore to Abraham, he is faithful to. To grant us that we, verse 74, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God has been demonstrating redemption again and again. And what is, what is the result of this redemption? And I think this is a good reminder for us. As we see these promises that Zechariah is reminding us of to Abraham and to David, this is not just a deliverance to do as we please, but rather it's a deliverance that they may serve the Lord without fear. Redemption is not solely for the sake of redemption. You have been forgiven of your sins. You've been redeemed. Now go do whatever you want. No, we are redeemed. We are purchased. We are bought out of the slave market of sin so that we may faithfully and fearfully serve the Lord in freedom, in righteousness, all our days. We are made to worship God. We are redeemed to worship God. God, just as salvation was to come to grant freedom and deliverance from these enemies so the people could worship freely, so for us as well, that as we are set free from our sin, we have the freedom to worship God and to live for Him as we should. So redemption is seen in God's promises here to David and Abraham. But now Zechariah turns his focus to John, his son. Verse 76, And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will be a prophet. John the Baptist, and perhaps you could say the last prophet in the sense of we think of it in the Old Testament way. One preparing, pointing to, calling out to the nation. Here comes the Lord, prepare yourself. He will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people. So John will be a prophet like that of old who will prepare his ways. He is, like Isaiah says, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He is the voice who is proclaiming. Jesus did not appear and people are like, wait a minute, where did this Jesus come from? He sent John to say, hey, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Listen. And look what the substance of his proclamation will be verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins to give knowledge understanding of what salvation deliverance 
John is going to communicate more than just the Messiah is here, but he's going to communicate why the Messiah is here. That he has come to deliver salvation, the forgiveness of their sins. This is important because most of the Jews in the first century this time wanted the Messiah to come because they were going to, well, do away with the Roman oppression. They wanted a liberator, somebody who was going to set them free in that sense. But here, this one is going to come and bring forgiveness of their sins. The greatest need that the people have is the forgiveness of their sins, not earthly human oppression by another government. Forgiveness of their sins. This is amazing. It's important. The previous section points to God's redemption in the life of Israel, but here the greatest need of all men is revealed. True and full redemption is found in the forgiveness of sins. Verse 78, we see the motivation for this. Because of the tender mercy of our God. God did not have to provide forgiveness. He did not have to provide redemption, but he does because of his great mercy. And then he gives this description. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on You know the phrase, Hail the Son of Righteousness? It's from one of our Christmas songs. And you often, you see it and it's S-U-N. And often you think, wait, shouldn't it be S-O-N? No, there's imagery used here in the birth of Christ that talks about the sunrise, the shining of light. And here we see this. This sunrise shall visit us from on high. Zechariah uses this imagery. Have you ever stayed up all night? Whether an all-nighter or whether you can't sleep. It's dark. You're with your thoughts, good or for ill, you know, and, and it's hard. But yet, the sun is coming. And when that sunrise comes up, you're like, oh, it's a new day. The darkness is gone. Here comes the sun. It's going to be another day. Perhaps the, the, the best sunrise I ever saw was when in, in college we were going to South Africa on a mission trip. And we flew from uh, London to Johannesburg. And we left at 7 o'clock at night. So we'd get in like at, you know, 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning the next day. But as we were flying, you know, we flew overnight. And you really can't, I can't sleep on a plane. And so I tried to, but eventually I woke up and it was still dark. But as we were flying... To see the sunrise happen at like 30,000 feet in the air is amazing. It's just pitch black, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And it just starts, and then it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and all of a sudden, it just fills the sky. The sunrise visits us from on high. The sunrise is Jesus. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The salvation comes from God, declared by John. It visits the people, and it gives light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Those who are in darkness have seen a great light. But those who are in darkness, this imagery reflects the fact that we are lost in our sin. That those who are in darkness, they are in the shadow of death. 
They are lost in their trespasses and sins. We need light to shine into our darkness. We will not find our way out groping in the darkness. We need a light from outside of us. That redemption is from God. We give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And as John's prophecy, or excuse me, Zechariah's prophecy concludes, we read that John grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness till the day of his public appearance to Israel. So as we think of this idea of redemption, it's seen in the past through David and Abraham, and it's seen as God shines light into the darkness of our own sin. We are all, by nature, children of wrath. We are enemies of God, Ephesians 2 says that. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are in darkness. Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14, says very, uh, something very similar. But I love the wording that Paul uses here in Colossians 1. So he talks about giving thanks, verse 12, Colossians 1, 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I love this next phrase, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has reached out in the darkness. He has provided salvation. He has shown light into our lives, and through Jesus Christ offers redemption, shining light into the darkness of our sin. And that's what we need. That's why Jesus came. That is the, for lack of a better phrase, the reason for the season. Jesus has fulfilled all these prophecies. Zechariah points to John fulfilling these prophecies. And the reason for all of these things is redemption. Is because people can't save themselves. You and I cannot save ourselves. We need light from outside of us to reveal our sin, to show us that we are dead, to realize that we have nothing within ourselves that can merit ourselves before God. We are in darkness. We are blind. And God walks in and shines a light. And that light is shown to us through Jesus Christ, the one who has brought redemption, the one who is redemption. Christmas reminds us that we were in darkness and God has turned on the lights. That he has provided the way of forgiveness and salvation again and again. And we need to remember this because it's more than just something that gives us warm fuzzies of, yay, I'm saved. It's, okay, God has has sent his own son to die for me, to provide salvation, to to provide that light. And, And why do I still love the darkness now? Lord, keep revealing the darkness in me. Keep showing me my sin so I can put it off. God has saved you so that you can bring glory to him and continue to live in the light and point others to the light to show them Jesus. The reason is for, for the season is that Christ has come to die for the forgiveness of our sins because we cannot have our sins forgiven in no other way. And that he bids us now to live for him, to walk in the way of peace, Zechariah says at the end there, to point people to Jesus. Christmas reminds us of what God has done for us, but it also reminds us of what we are called to do because of that, to continue that we are to be light to the world around us. 
I love the simple imagery of Christmas lights. Some of you may put up a lot of Christmas lights. Some of you don't. That's fine. But I love driving at night. Just the other night, we're headed into the kids' Christmas program at school. And coming home at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, it's pitch black. You can't see anything. And we're out here on the highway. And all of a sudden, we come up over this hill. And probably a mile, mile and a half off, you can see a house that I probably have never really focused on before. But in the middle of darkness, you see all these bright, colorful lights. The darkness does not overcome those lights, but the lights shine through. Our world is dark, but yet the light has shone in our darkness, and that light is Jesus Christ. So receive the light, but then also shine that light out to others. The redemption, for redemption is seen as God shines light into the darkness of our sins. So may we this Christmas season reflect and rejoice and know that the birth of John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus preparing the way to worship Him, but also preparing us, reminding us, showing us that the Messiah has come to redeem people from their sin. You and I are sinners, but yet through Christ we have redemption, and we have received that light. And as we have received that light, may we so walk in it, and may we be light to the world around us this Christmas Lord, we're thankful that you have shown the light into our dark hearts, that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, help us now reflect that light again and again through our words, through our actions, through the way in which we encourage one another. And for anyone here who may not know Christ as their Savior, when they realize that they are in darkness, though they think that they know, that they see, that they understand, Lord, that they are truly lost. Their eyes are blind. They cannot speak. But yet, Lord, you can shine into their lives. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, help us to, to not only trust in Christ, but then also live it out that we may walk in the path of peace, the path that comes from knowing Christ. Lord, we love you. We give thanks for all these things. We pray in Christ's name.